We cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Let's, uh, let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you that we are redeemed, uh, not by our own works, your word says, but through the blood of Jesus, through the blood of the Lamb, and we praise you for that this morning. Lord, we thank you that we can call you our, our Father. You are our Abba Father on this Father's Day. And Lord, for all that that means, uh, we, we embrace that. Lord, we uh, also uh, thank you that we can pray for those in our church family that are going through challenging times. And uh, Lord, many other needs that are here today. Lord, thank you that you know our hearts and you know those needs and we commit them to you. Now we pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to what you would have for us today, and we'll thank you and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we have a uh, Father's Day video. It's three minutes long. It's by Igniter Media. I think you'll enjoy this on this Father's Day. It's entitled, I Didn't Know. So uh, why don't we go ahead with that video, and then we'll uh, jump into our message. Hey, Dad. So you asked how it was going. And the truth is that the answer wouldn't fit in a text message or even a greeting card. As it turns out, there's a lot I didn't know about being a dad. For one thing, I didn't know you could get excited about only getting up once in the middle of the night. I didn't know about the quantity of the dirty diapers or the quality for that matter. (laughs) I didn't know how stressed out you could be coming home from work. I didn't know about the financial strains of having a family. Dad, I didn't know you and mom went through all that for me. I didn't know how wrestling with me would make your back hurt. I didn't know how precious peace and quiet could be. I didn't know how challenging it would be to steer a young heart toward what's right. I didn't know you said no to so many other things so that you could say yes to me. I didn't know how much becoming a dad could flip your world upside down. I didn't know how much you loved me. Well, I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but I certainly can. I became a father at 24, and there was a lot I did not know. And uh, But uh, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. We're going to take about 30 minutes, maybe 35 minutes, to look into First Thessalonians chapter 2. 
And uh, there's a lot of different ways we could go on Father's Day. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about fathers and uh, the fatherhood of God. And we could study the character of God today, and that would be a great Father's Day message. But we're going to go a little different route and go into First Thessalonians chapter 2 and look at a fatherhood model by the Apostle Paul. Now, some of you might say, well, that's a little strange because most scholars, commentators, think that Paul was not a father. And he writes in 1 Corinthians 7 about marriage, and he says, I wish many people were like I, being single. So Paul probably wasn't a father, but he was a spiritual father, spiritual father to many. And so we're going to look at this passage in just a little bit and look at the, the model of Paul as a spiritual father but as I mentioned, <clears throat> fatherhood is all through the Bible, and the Bible talks about the critical role of dads. About 25 years ago, Dr. James Dobson from Focus on the Family was asked the question, what's the greatest problem facing America today? And Dr. Dobson gave a one-word answer, fatherlessness, fatherlessness. The breakdown of the home, of God's design for for marriage and the family, one man, one woman together for a lifetime. And he said the greatest problem in America today is fatherlessness. And uh, we know in our culture that that's a, a, a huge problem. Uh, the statistics tell us that 24 American million American children, one in three, are growing up in homes without their biological father. From the four D's, either death, father dies young. That was the case with my um, stepsisters. I have three of them, and uh, their dad died at 39, and my stepsister Julie was eight years old, the youngest of the three girls, when they lost their dad of, of a massive heart attack. So either through death or divorce or desertion, or some people have dads in the home, but they're distant fathers. They're maybe good providers, but they've never learned to emotionally engage with their kids and, and give them the encouragement that they need in their lives. And so the impact and influence of dads, for better or worse, is huge. Not, not just for those 18 years of, of life, but for all, all of life. And I'm not going to bore you with the statistics, but the statistics that the sociologists tell us uh, that, that dads matter incredibly because they, they make a huge impact. And here's a, an article from the Atlantic Journal. This is from 2014, Why Dads Matter. The statistics tell us that children raised in a fatherless home are four times more likely to be raised in poverty more than 70% of all juveniles in state reform institutions come from fatherless homes. And we know that it impacts them academically and in many other ways. Carrie Casey from the National Center for Fathering. Yes, there's an organization called the National Center for Fathering. It's in Manhattan, Kansas. He writes this, The research is clear. Children thrive when they have an involved father. Someone who loves them, knows them, guides them, and helps them achieve their destiny. And so the impact of fathers are, is great, for good or for bad. Now some of us might be thinking that uh, for those that might be 
uh, raising kids without a dad in their home, or maybe that was our experience that uh, that kind of is discouraging statistics. But let me say that uh, we need to factor in the equation of God. And if you're a single parent or raised in a single home, uh, when you factor in the, the God factor, we recognize that, that God has a plan and God is greater than whatever situation you find yourself in. I think of the life of Joseph when he confronted his brothers at the end of the book of Genesis and he says, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. And so um, God is a father to the fatherless, Psalm 68 verse 5. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the First Thessalonians chapter 2 and look at the Paul's model as a spiritual father and hopefully learn four principles that we can learn in our life for impacting our kids and our grandkids and the generations to come. So if you have your Bibles, First Thessalonians chapter 2, we are going to start out with verse 1, with verse 1. Uh, just a little bit of context here. Paul visited Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. And now, uh, some months later, he's, he's writing back to these believers who came to faith in Christ and, and he writes this letter, 1 Thessalonians, uh, to them. And let's look at verse 1 of chapter 2. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. So Paul spent about a month in Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. And let's go to Acts 17. You don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll read it for you. Uh, Paul says it wasn't without results. What happened in Thessalonica? It says when Paul and his companions came to Thessalonica, there was a Jewish synagogue, as was his custom. So Paul had a, a kind of a modus uh, operandi here. He would go to the synagogue in every city where he went. Uh, he writes in Romans, uh, the, the gospel is to the Jew first and then the Greek. And so he always started out in a Jewish synagogue. And so Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Here's the results. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So Paul spent three Sabbaths in the synagogue in Thessalonica, and he's explaining the Old Testament scriptures. He's proclaiming Christ, and some Jews and some Gentiles come to faith in Jesus. And so Paul says, our time there was not without results. But if we go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, he writes, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. If you know that story, they ended up beaten and in prison. Paul and Silas did. But with the help of God, we dared to tell you his gospel in face of strong opposition. Wherever Paul went on these missionary journeys, he either ended up in prison or like a riot broke out. And that's what happened in Thessalonica. After some people came to faith in Christ, uh, it created uh, commotion and upheaval. And we won't take time to read the passage, but they literally had a riot. And Paul made a nighttime escape. And so he's recounting his time together uh, with those Thessalonian believers. But now he writes this letter, 
And uh, we're going to look at four principles of, of being a father uh, from Paul's ministry here. So we're going to pick it up again in, in verse uh, 6 uh, that we just read, First Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 6. He says, we were not looking for praise from people. Paul was not a people pleaser. Uh, some of us have personalities that desperately want to please people. But Paul says our ultimate aim is not to please people, but we need to please who? We need to please God. We were not looking for praise from you, nor from uh, from people or from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Paul says, I could have pulled rank when I was in Thessalonica with you. I could have said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the apostles, and he could have pulled rank, but he didn't. Um, that's a principle we can apply to fatherhood. Some of us, some of you, grew up in homes, and I realize the father is the authority in the home, but um, where dad said this repeatedly, when there's maybe a little conflict, why should I do this? And dad just says, because I said so, and I'm the father. Some of you can relate to that. There are times for that, but if you hear that over and over and over again, I want to tell you, that will plant the seeds of rebellion in the heart of a child. They, they, they need some, if they have some questions, they need some reasonable explanations. Um, Paul said, I, I wasn't like that. And, and actually, when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 5 about being a pastor, he, he gives the same advice. Don't lord it over, over people, but be an example. And so Paul's recounting his time with the, the Thessalonian believers. And here's the, uh, the first model. Uh, Paul modeled fatherhood, and it's Paul modeling a pastor. He, he, he loves these people. He, he's caring for them. Look at it in verse 7. Instead, we were like young children among you. Some of your translations say we were gentle among you. Probably a better translation. Notice the image that he gives. We were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. What a, what a picture of, of gentleness. So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And so Paul's first model of being a father, and Paul says it's just like being a pastor. I have an acquaintance, and I noticed a couple weeks ago on Facebook, this young man, I'm going to call him a young man, he's probably in his 40s, maybe late 30s, but he posted on Facebook, he says, I think I might want to be a pastor someday. And and what a great, uh, if, if God works in his heart and God calls him, what a, what a great thing that, that that's what he wants to do. But I also know that this individual has five children. And you know what I would tell him today? I would say, um, in one sense, you already are a pastor. If you have a wife, if you have children, you are a pastor you are to be a shepherd of the flock that God gave to you. And so this is what Paul's modeling. He's modeling the role of being a pastor. And he says, we cared for you. We loved you. What did he do? He shared the gospel. 
We share the, uh, what parents' first responsibility is what we want to share, what the good news of the gospel with our children so they come to know Christ and enter into the kingdom of God and know that they're going to be in heaven someday. And he says, we shared our lives as well. We were transparent among you. Um, if, if you go through some struggles at when the kids are an appropriate age, it's okay to, to share with them, you know, what, what life's like and what you're struggling for, with. And maybe they can pray for you as you pray for them. Paul says, I was transparent. We shared our lives. And so the, the summary statement here is that husbands and dads are to be the, the spiritual leaders of their home. Paul models being a pastor. And that's what uh, dads are to be. They're to be the pastors in their home. And when you go to passages like Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Um, And then it says, uh, I want you to teach your children these truths. And it's, uh, it's this passage that the Jews were to recite every day. It's called the Shema. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them four key moments. Talk about them when you sit at home, dinner time, when you walk along the road, taking a walk or driving in the car in our, our culture, when you lie down, nighttime, when you get up. Now there's, there's opportunities for formal teaching for children, but Deuteronomy 6 says four key moments in a kid's life. Um, up in the morning, mealtime, um, bedtime, and there was a fourth one there that I just forgot. You go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 6. There's four. <laughs> in the car, yeah, when you're traveling, when you're traveling. All right, I remember, uh, and uh, my wife Diane did most of the driving, but we, when we lived in Chelsea, we sent our kids, uh, transitioned our kids to Lenaway Christian School. And uh, we did that in, when they were in about sixth or seventh grade, and uh, 32 miles one way, and uh, so Diane would drive him down, come back, that's uh, 64 miles, and then in the afternoon, drive him down, come back, another 64 miles, 128 miles every day. After a few weeks, I said to Diane, I said, can you check in the school and see if they maybe have a job in the cafeteria? <laughs> cut down driving time and gas mileage and all that kind of stuff. And, and she eventually started working at the school, and so we only had to drive, we, she only had to drive, uh, what was it, 64 miles a day. I remember um, at the school, we were at some event, and I was kind of complaining about, you know, how long the drive was. And the middle school principal, Doug Howard, he says, you know what, use that as a, as a quality time. You've got a captive audience there and engage with your kids and try to turn that into times where they will talk. And so, uh, that's kind of what, kind of what they did, although in the morning they were usually sleeping in the car, but in the afternoon they were engaged in talking. Uh, so dads and husbands are to be the spiritual leaders in their home. Secondly, here's the second role model for Paul, verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship, we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel. So Paul says, we worked hard. We not only were were missionaries and shared the gospel, but uh, as we read in Scripture, Paul had an occupation. He was a tent maker. 
And so Paul would be described as a bivocational ministry. In fact, uh, we have some missionaries that we support from a mission out west called Tent Makers Bible Mission. And it's basically supporting uh, individuals who are trying to plant churches out west. And uh, the churches are very, very small. And so they're not only pastoring, but they're also working as well. It's called bivocational. And that's what Paul was. Paul was a bivocational ministry. He says, we worked hard. We didn't want to be a burden to you. Uh, Acts chapter 18, uh, verse 3, we discover that, as I mentioned, Paul um, was a tent maker. Uh, Acts 18, verse 3, uh, because uh, Paul went to see Priscilla and Aquila because he was a tent maker as they were, and he stayed there and worked with them. So Paul had this uh, tent making uh, business ability that uh, he brought income in from. And so Paul was a bivocational minister, minister, missionary, and he models that a dad needs to be what? A provider. A provider. That's a key role of a dad. Dads are be the providers. Oh, work is not a four-letter word. Work uh, is a reflection of being created in God's image. Um, work was given before the fall of man in Genesis. Sometimes we get this confused and think, well, you know, man fell and then they had to work as punishment. No, Adam was called to be the caretaker of the garden before they sinned. Now, after sin, uh, there there were some consequences for work. It's going to be harder. You're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow and there's going to be weeds and, and this is going to be difficult. But work is a gift from God. And Paul says he was a tent maker. He worked hard. He modeled being a provider. Uh, this is Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, uh, verse chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were among you, nor did we eat anyone else's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. So Paul Paul worked hard, and he models um, the responsibility of dads to be a provider. And why do we need to provide? Well, to provide for the needs of our own family. And then as Ephesians chapter 4 says, um, that God blesses us and provides for us so that what we can bless others as well. And uh, Paul modeled being a provider. Well, there's a third role model of Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 as a, as a spiritual father, as a dad, and it's Paul's personal example. Notice what he writes in verse 10. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how, he uses three words here, how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Paul not only modeled uh, being a pastor and shepherding uh, those believers, and he was a provider, he worked hard, but Paul says, um, I was a personal example. My life was characterized by being holy, Righteous and blameless. His, his life was one of integrity. And Paul often in his writings would say, uh, follow me as I follow Christ. 
That's 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. By the way, would you, would you, would you want to um, make that statement to a group of people? <laughs> would you feel comfortable in saying, hey, I want you to follow my life and my example as I follow Christ? And Paul says, um, my personal example, I was holy, I was righteous, I was without blame. Uh, Philippians 4.9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me put into practice. Paul says, what you heard me say with my lips, but what you also saw in my life, I want you to model that. And that's where the great confusion sometimes comes into the lives of our children and our grandchildren when they see a great distinction between what we say with our lips and what we do with our life. And Paul says, and the Word of God says, we need to have integrity that our, our, what we say is also modeled by what we do. As a fellow by the name of William Channing said, may your life preach more loudly than your lips. And it certainly will. Uh, they will listen to what you say, but the greater impact in their lives is, what are you doing? <laughs> by the example of your life. So Paul modeled fatherhood. He was a pastor he was a provider. He lived a life not of perfection, but he he had his struggles. He talks about in Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And Paul struggled, but he had a life of integrity as he modeled his personal example to his believers. But there's a fourth portrait, and it's found in verse 11, and it's Paul's persistent encouragement. Paul's persistent encouragement. Look at verse 11, and this is really the the key verse, 11 and 12 for this Father's Day. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. So there's two sides of love. There's a tender side and a tough side. Paul's already referred to the tender side. I was gentle among you like a nursing mother. Now he says, I was also like a dad to you, like a father. And The verses here portray what? Persistent encouragement. As a father deals with his own children, here's the three key words, and encouraging. Uh, King James says exhorting. It's the word parakaleo, to come alongside and give a helping hand. Ministry takes place with our kids up close and personal, doesn't it? Um. Sometimes we say to our kids, come here, I need to talk to you. And, and Paul talks about being an, an encourager, a paracleto. It's the, it's the word that describes the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives. He's the paraclete. He's the one that comes into our life and, and, and helps us and helps us when we, we don't know how to pray. And, and he opens up our minds and eyes to God's word. He says, I was encouraging you. I was comforting to you. That's the second word. Uh, it's the word paramethomai. It means to console or to comfort. Paul says, I was an encourager, but I was also a comforter. And that's a role that a dad needs to play. Again, I'm picking out some uh, some phrases here that are echoing maybe in some of our minds with, with dads. And I'm not trying to slam dads, but... Uh, my wife shared this uh, as a phrase that she would sometimes hear in her home. 
Don't cry or I'll give you something to cry about. (laughs) Not a good thing to say to your kids. We need to be what? Comforters, don't we? Um, Think about how hard it is to grow up in our culture today as a young person, as a a young child. And and so um, we live in a fallen world. And it's full of pain, physical pain, emotional pain, hurts. They're going to experience disappointments. They're going to experience failure in their own eyes. They're going to experience rejection. And what do we need? We need to what be in the role of comforting. We need to give them a shoulder to cry on as a dad. We need to be their comforter in those difficult times that they will all face in life. So we're to listen empathetically, to comfort with our words, but also with our hugs. My dad did not grow up in a home where there was a lot of physical affection shown, and this probably would have been a very common back in, he was born in 1929, so back when he was growing up, the oldest of four boys in Buffalo, New York. His father was a banker, was a great provider, but um, maybe did not get a lot of uh, encouragement from physical affection or being told that he was very loved. And so what do we tend to do? We tend to parent the way we were parented. My dad was a great father, but I remember at the age of 50, and I don't know if he had gone to a conference or gone to a seminar and uh, all of a sudden, uh, when he came to, to visit us and greeted us, and this had never really happened before, he embraced us with a big hug. And I remember he was doing that with all three of the, his sons, and we're, like, we're saying, like, what's wrong with Dad? <laughs> no, I, that's not like him. And, and, and he, he made the intentional change in his life to be one who showed physical affection and began to express the words, um, and I almost showed this video this morning, how difficult it is. Why is it so difficult to say, I love you to your dad? You know, it's just, it just doesn't, sometimes doesn't come easy. And, and he made that switch. And I, and I remember when we got those embraces from, from my dad, and I, that's this point, I'm in my mid-twenties, and I, I like, I, I treasured those hugs. And so, uh, we need to be, uh, someone who, is a comforter in life. Greg Speck is a youth specialist who speaks all over the country to high school assemblies. I've known Greg Speck for for years now, and he's a remarkable fellow. He's one of the few people who could speak for 45 minutes and hold the attention of junior hires and also adults equally as well. A remarkable speaker. He speaks in high school assemblies all over the country. I remember Greg talking about um, one high school assembly that he was at, and there was like six or seven hundred kids in his high school, and he's talking about this matter of uh, being a comforter and how physical affection is important, uh, appropriate physical affection. And he speaks on that, and he says at the end of his assembly, he said, uh, some of you are in homes and have not ever gotten a father hug, an embrace from your dad? He said, so when the assembly's over, uh, I'm going to be up here, and if you want to line up, I'm just going to give you a big bear hug. And Greg's wondering if 
any of these macho high schoolers, some of them the football players and all this are going to show up. He said at the end of that assembly, there's a line of 150 kids lining up. What did they want? They wanted an embrace and a hug from someone who loved them. And they'd never gotten it. Paul says we need to be a comforter. But then he says we need to be, the last one here is, um, we need to be urging them. He says, encouraging, comforting, and urging you. Uh, again, the King James says, charging you, maturamai is, is the word. It's a serious, heartfelt appeal. There are times where with our kids, we need to say, uh, hey, we need, we need to have a serious talk here. And that's what Paul's saying here. Uh, a persistent encouragement as an encourager, a comforter, and urging you. A heart-to-heart talk, serious talk. What is he urging him to do? What's the goal of all this? This is, this is interesting. It's right in the text. He says, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. So here's our goal. What's the goal of all this? Yes, we want to produce um, young people who are contributors to society and know how to make their own way. But Paul says the overall goal of parenting is to encourage our children and our grandchildren to live what? Lives worthy of God. To come to know God and to live for him. That's the goal. I mentioned, uh, I think it was on Mother's Day, it was a book by Chip Ingram, uh, Effective Parenting in a Defective World. And I read that book about 20 years ago, and I finally found a, a definition of success in parenting. What is success in parenting? What's the goal? And Chip Engram says, success in parenting is when our children transfer their primary love, submission, and obedience from me to Jesus Christ. That's what we want. And so Paul's like, I'm urging you and comforting you and encouraging you what? To live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 so we make it our goal, Paul says. What's our goal in life? To please God, to please him. Not to please people, but to please God. And so here's the goal. Urging, comforting, encouraging to live lives worthy of God. I've got my wedding band here this morning. I need to have it enlarged because uh, old... Arthur Itis has come in, and it doesn't really fit on my finger anymore. But as I was reading this verse this, this week and thinking about Paul's goal to, to encourage our kids and our grandkids to live lives worthy of God, I was thinking about my wedding band because when Diane and I were dating, we picked a verse that would be maybe a verse that would be a good goal for our lives. It wasn't this verse, but it was a verse very similar. It was Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul's praying for the Colossian believers that they'd be filled with God's wisdom and knowledge so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. And Diane and I took that as our kind of verse as a couple, and it's still in there. When we got married, she had that verse engraved on the inside of the ring, and it's kind of faded a little bit, but it's still there, Colossians 1.10. Love, Diane. 
That's the goal that Paul was searching for and shooting for, that he might live lives, that we might live lives worthy of God. So Paul was a model for us as dads. He was a pastor. He was a provider. He lived a personal example. Follow me as I follow Christ. And then he was an encourager. So what can we do with this? Just a couple of action points here, and then we'll we'll be we'll be done this morning. Um, applying God's word. Here's a couple statements here as based on this message. I need, we all need to be proactive in our roles as spiritual leaders in our homes. God's call and charge to men and husbands is to be the spiritual leader. What does that mean? That you model consistent attendance at church is the first step. And men need to step up to realize that's our responsibility to model that. Hebrews 10.25, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And when we model that things are more important than church, our, our kids will see, see that by our lives. If, if that's not a high priority, they're going to determine that right away. And we're going to say, well, it's not a priority for dad and mom, so then what, you know, why should I, why should I bother? We, we need to be proactive in our role as spiritual leaders. That means regular attendance at church. That means being an intercessor for our kids, praying for them every day. Job chapter 1 has a picture of that spiritual intercession. Paul's offering, or Job's offering sacrifices. Maybe some of my kids have, have sinned. And it's a picture of interceding for his kids. Uh, for teaching God's word. Uh, that's another part of, of being a spiritual leader in the home. Teaching God's word. Uh, we have on the back table... Um, Something from Keys for Kids. And if you have young, young children, younger children, you gotta figure out what, what works for you. Uh, we struggle with consistent family devotions, but, um, when I connected with Keys for Kids, it's out of Grand Rapids, um, and we had like a, you know, a six or seven year age gap in our three kids, but we, Tried three, four times a night just to have a brief lesson, keys for kids, and I had a whiteboard and I'd write the key, uh, key, uh, lesson for the day and on that whiteboard and, and just short, 15, 10, 15 minutes, uh, trying to teach God's word into the lives of, of our, um, kids. Uh, secondly, I need to grow in my spiritual life and be a consistent godly example. Paul set his life up as an example, and, and we need to grow. Uh, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And then lastly, action points, I need to be my family's biggest encourager and cheerleader to live lives worthy of God who's called them into his kingdom. I need to be my family's biggest encourager and cheerleader. And my wife and my kids will live lives worthy of God. That takes a lot of work. As the video said, things I didn't know, uh, the fellow said, I didn't know the challenge of trying to direct uh, young lives to to be on the right path and to teach them what's right. That is that is hard today in our culture when they're uh, growing up in a culture that gives them an opposite message. But it's something that we need to continue to strive for. And for those of us that have maybe have had kids that have walked away from from the Lord, um, it's never too late 
never too late for God to do something in their life. And you keep praying for them and you keep loving them. And we may, we may not live long enough to see the, what God's going to do, but you, you just never give up in, in praying for them and, and loving them. And uh, the impact of a dad is huge. So I have one Father's Day gift, and I've shared this before, but I'll, I'll share it again. It's my, my favorite gift I've ever gotten on Father's Day. At this point in my life, I don't need more ties. Got a drawer full of about 60 of them I choose from. Probably wear the same three, but uh, there's 60 of them in there. I don't need more shirts, although my wife would disagree. Uh, I don't need more clothes. What do we want when we kind of get later in life? We want to spend, what, time, time becomes more precious. And uh, if those of you that have your dads that are blessed to have them still living, you know, as they get older, you see that like the um, little um, sands and time thing and the sands are slipping through and you know that, that, you know, time, time is short and we need to express love and, and appreciation to our dads. So 15 years ago, and I've got this, got this on my uh, office wall, and I read it every Father's Day. It was a poem that our youngest son wrote, and um, we just saw him uh, yesterday uh, with his uh, four-year-old and three-month-old. Um, just a short poem, but I, he framed it, and I've got it, and here, here's what it says, and um, so I, I'm reading this not to pat myself on the back anyway. I want to encourage you to hang in there and to try to be consistent. So here's what he wrote. You've taught me everything I know and how to live my life. You taught me how to love a girl and how to pick a wife. You taught me how to play some sports and how to play a game. You taught me when it comes to God to never stand in shame. You taught me how God's our shepherd and we are his herd. You taught me how to follow him and how to read God's word. You taught me how to appreciate the things I have and had. You taught me all I know, for that I love you, Dad. You taught me all these things and more, so what else can I say? I guess that all that is left is Happy Father's Day. You don't need anything more than that. And um, hang in there. You'll get one of these someday. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that for some that are here and feeling a father wound and maybe grew up in a home where there was not a lot of love expressed. Lord, thank you that you are our Father and that you love us beyond comprehension. As Paul writes to the Ephesians, I want you to understand the, the height and the depth and the breadth of, of the unfathomable love of God that God has for us and for you and for all of us. So thank you that, that we can, on this Father's Day, be... Uh, embraced and wrapped in the arms of a loving father. And Lord, for those of us that are uh, fathers and grandfathers, Lord, 
help us to be uh, faithful to the task that you have called us to. Help us to realize that in one sense we're all pastors, we're all shepherds. Help us to shepherd our home well. Lord, help us to provide well, not just not just with the material things, but with all the other things emotionally and spiritually that that children and grandchildren need. Lord, help us to to be a role model and help us to be uh, continuous in our encouragement to those that you have placed in our lives to encourage each and every one of them to live a life that is worthy of pleasing you and give us the grace to do that. And Lord, we will thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.